Good evening and welcome to Sally Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, and I have a return guest. I have Michaela Wade from Family Law Assistance Franchise, all the way over from England. And I've had her last on my podcast, October 12th, 2021, Season 2, Episode 116, and where we talked about having the tools to help clients manage their mindset to be in their best possible position to win their case in court. But today, we're going to talk about the feelings, feelings about court, and will the court see through the lies and court sexism and why we really should work together. So I welcome you from across the pond. Thank you for coming on my podcast, Michaela Wade. Welcome. I'm so, so pleased to be here. Thank you for having me on again. I am glad to, uh, you know, between our family courts and your family courts, I don't know, it's a global problem. Completely. And I think it doesn't matter really where you are in the globe the issues that people face going through family court, and I say this often, are the same. Separated parents are going through the same issues with another separated parent. Um, child custody issues, uh, divorce, finances, it's all the same. Um, the laws might be slightly different, but the principles and certainly the emotions that people go through are going to be identical. Mm-hmm. You know, Do you find, have you ever had a case where parents went in there and listened to the judge and walked out for good and decided to work things out themselves. You know what? I absolutely have. And I think a massive part of that actually is in negotiation. Well, negotiation and a want to resolve matters. Anybody that has gone through family court will know that it's really adversarial. In fact, I think, and I often rant about this, and I think it's bonkers how you resolve those differences in an adversarial arena such as a court I mean you're not talking about a parking fine here um you're talking about somebody that you loved so much that you had one two three four children with I think that the often the legal professionals and the system is set up to be so adversarial so I don't think the system in itself is conducive to resolving matters that being said despite all odds I have had people uh, in fact I can think of two occasions where um, the judge kicked us out for the usual try and sort something out and I have them around the table and just um, plain old negotiating I've got on they've not only resolved it but believe it or not I remember coming out of one court and the other side wanted a selfie still sticks in my mind wanted a selfie of me the ex-partner and themselves outside of the court as a momentum that they'd managed to sort things out so it does it does happen rarely but it does happen so when the judge said you know he when he kicked you out he saw that the case was not maybe as bad or as adversarial as normal cases are i don't think so i think that um 
spoiler alert, judges don't actually like making orders, which sounds really counterintuitive because a lot of people go to court. They've often paid at least a court fee to submit the application. Mm -hmm. And people who go to court think, oh, well, here I am in court. I've rocked up to court. There is a judge in front of me. They're going to make a decision, right? Mm -hmm. And then are shocked when the judge says, and I have heard this being said, like, if you don't agree, I'm going to have to make an order. And you're sort of looking around there for candid camera thinking, I thought I was in court. I thought that was your decision to make the order. Mm-hmm. So judges on the whole um, don't like making orders. So they place a lot of emphasis. I don't know what it's like um, across the pond, Marianne, but certainly mm-hmm. here, um, they like to put a lot of emphasis on negotiation. In fact, I always say this to clients and people alike that the magic happens not in the courtroom. The magic happens outside of the courtroom. I swear to God, Hollywood has got a lot to answer for, but um, it's true. So most cases, if the judge thinks there's any kind of negotiating, they're going to kick you out of the courtroom and get you to negotiate. And I think the case that I've just said, cited was one of those occasions where that happened. And it's been a couple of occasions um, where it's been successful. But yeah, judges don't like making orders. Do you think these parents, they're obviously maybe not personality disorders, they just have disagreements? Yeah, you see, I hear a lot about personality disorders. um, And for the most part, they're undiagnosed. And of course, that presents its own challenge. From the court's point of view, unless you have a diagnosis, they tend not to take much notice of it. Um, And let's be honest, most of us who've got an ex will often think not nice thoughts about it. See what I did there? I'm aiming for diplomacy. Um, Whereas I see a lot, especially especially the world of the internet, um, my ex is a dot, 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 dot. Um, But you might absolutely, I think as well, that um, family court brings out the worst in people. It really does because Mm. people, very often you're looking for the thing behind the thing behind the thing I know we're there on the face of it for children but most people who come into a relationship bring their own baggage it's just that when we're in a family court that kind of plays out and you often see traits whether it's personality disorders other issues such as alcohol abuse or drug misuse Mm -hmm. perpetrating through generations especially some of the more public law cases that you see you'll see the grandparents you see the parents and then you see the children and you often see very similar traits running through um, and sometimes they are undiagnosed yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, when the courts hopefully see through the lies Mm -hmm. are they ordering Uh, psychological evaluations you would think so no you don't in fact so just back that up a little every case and and this even though I've been at this now for 16 years wow every single case every single case that I deal with will always have allegations of abuse Mm. crazy mind blown And I think I see that on a daily basis. The courts will see that on a daily basis. And those lies and allegations of abuse, because lies are often allegations of abuse, will range from anything from they looked at me a bit funny all the way up to something very much more sinister. Mm -hmm. And there's there's no consequence when the judge sees those lies and I'm going to put air quotes around the term lies because 
not everybody lies on purpose. And in mm -hmm. fact, some people will believe their own lies. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a lie. It's a matter of perception. You know, I mean, if, if, to demonstrate that point, if, if one thinks about a family gathering that happened way back when, it's quite possible that two people can have very different recollections mm -hmm. of that same event. And you end up saying to the other person, well, hang on, what event were you at? Because it's not the event that I was at. So, you know, lying can be a, 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 in the eyes of the beholder, but sometimes it is very, very deliberate lies. Sometimes it's to, lies to prevent uh, a relationship from one parent and the child. I wish there was more consequences. I wish there were, uh, I wish there was more action that would follow up from that. Because if you think, wow, if you're lying to that degree and possibly more disturbingly, you're believing those lies, mm -hmm. then one would think that a psychological evaluation would be necessary. Now here in the UK, there are laws and rules surrounding when a psychologist can be used and when it doesn't. Uh, much to say that courts don't like issuing psychological evaluations until it's pretty bad. There has to be some extenuating circumstances um, where a psychologist would be introduced or appointed. And even then, you know, I th it, I've never seen a quote unquote clean evaluation. If anyone's got a psychological report, especially if they're going through a family court, they're going to see something. Um, and even then, sometimes it doesn't always help the case go forward. And more to the point, you know, you've got to also think about what um, delay that has in the court. I've mm -hmm. literally just had a TikTok about the delay that happens in the court. I mean, I don't know what it's like. Marianne, you and I were talking before we went live about how crazy um, it is <laughs> on both sides of the pond, certainly from what I'm seeing. I mean, perhaps this is a fallout from COVID, but the courts are overrun. They are overrun. I mean, I saw a tweet from somebody quite senior in the courts, this, this side of the pond, that said that they have a backlog of 100,000 cases. It's ridiculous. I did a, a TikTok about the length, the average length of a family court case. It was 18 months, but now we're looking at a good two years when you take into account. So why? So the courts are, go, are going to be even more reluctant to appoint a psychologist, which is going to take extra time, money and effort, because appointing a psychology isn't cheap. And very often that cost, the burden of that cost is put on usually the people who are wanting it. Um, and that could run into thousands, often does. And you're going to want the psychologist to attend the court hearing as well. That's extra time, money and effort. For what? Mm -hmm. So it's certainly a question that I, I'll always get my guys to think about very carefully mm -hmm. before whacking in an application for a psychologist to be appointed. Do you ever think, or do you ever tell people, why don't you get a psychological evaluation before we go in there? So that's one less step. Um, it depends because the, 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 um, who you get mm -hmm. is, 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 is interesting because if you get somebody that you've just chosen, you're gonna, the likeliness, you're gonna want someone who A is cheaper because <laughs> you set the budget, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, who may not be fully qualified, but hey, they stuck it within the budget. So yay for that. Mm -hmm. um, and the other side guaranteed is going to accuse the other side of, of being unbiased. And here's the thing, you know, people who go to family court, I say this all the time, but the rules that you play with in family court are not the rules that you play with in reality. People think they go into to family court wanting truth and justice, and that 
I don't know, maybe I'm just a cynic, but I often um, liken it to a game of chess. They move, you move, they move, you move, and you're never going to move in one go. Mm -hmm. So, and besides, I would always perhaps, that scenario, I would always urge people not to go ahead for a psych report, because even the ones you've picked, there's going to be a budget attached to that. Mm -hmm. And I always think that you're missing the focus of why you're there. People are there to explain and convince a court as to whether or not they're going to be in their children's lives or whether it is safe for that child to have contact or a relationship with either or one of the other parents. Um, by the time you start <laughs> bringing your supermarket carrier bag of life to the fore, I think the issues get clouded. So I get my guys and everyone out there listening to be super focused, focus on that one thing. And that actually makes your job quite simple. Mm -hmm. You know, with with some of these clients, you wonder what they're telling their lawyers, because I mean, I, sometimes I feel bad for some of these lawyers because they're not getting the whole picture that their client really should be telling them. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I do feel for that profession because, you know, speaking as someone that works in um, law myself, um, I've only got to go on what people tell me but there's a flip side to that because um for a start uh, you know i am not a savior um i don't claim to to perform miracles i'm great at what i do but i'm only going on what i see in front of me as does the court and i think that if if you've got a, well first of all people who have been in this profession will always get a spidey sense of of people not giving you the full story so anybody seasoned in this area of work will know they're not getting the full story. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also think that people, I, I know we all need money to pay bills, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, but I do think a lot of solicitors um, follow the money. They're, if, mm. if they're not being paid, why would you go out of your limb? So I, to a greater or lesser degree, follow money now obviously I'm half the cost of a solicitor but I know a lot of solicitors out there who would promise the moon I've seen it I mean there's some mm -hmm. great or great and, and not so great ones but there are a lot of people out there that just promise the world and um will accept what their client will tell them blindly I'll always challenge my clients and I'll always say to them look if I'm not challenging you the other side absolutely will so actually it's in your best interest that I'm the one that's challenging you Mm -hmm. um yeah so it, it can be very difficult I think the other side of the thing to well just a note about people in this profession is that I think it removes a lot of judgment um one of the things that we've been very keen on when um having people join the franchise actually is to withhold that judgment because let's be real nobody mm -hmm. knows what's actually happened behind closed doors apart from those two people mm -hmm. so I think it I think it makes you withhold judgment Mm -hmm. yeah and it's common sense I mean you're the you're the you're the sanity check for the for for our clients so yeah you do that yourself well you know when people pay a retainer fee to a lawyer and then they get yelled at by the lawyer huh? and I'm like you know, it you know it's happened to me it's happened to someone else I just talked to it's like, hey, I just paid you $3,400. How come you're screaming at me? I'm telling you the truth. What happened? <laughs> I think, I, and I say this to everybody, it doesn't matter who you've got by your side. 
but you have to feel like they are by your side, okay? Mm. Um, in, in that courtroom, in the court building, we're a team in there. Mm -hmm. I said that, my caveat that to say, I, people pay me to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. I have been that person that says, um, look, I think what you're doing is idiotic. I think you're damaging your own case. I'm here to make sure that you do the best for your child. And I think having the child in front um, is important. But yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've certainly been one of those people. And by the way, I don't, I, personally, I don't work on a retainer. Okay. So I, the way that I work is very different. Um, so I have no, I have no qualm. If somebody I think is absolutely damaging their case, I will say to them, I think, I think you're damaging your case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, in, there's another issue. I know we're kind of bouncing all over the place, but have you ever had an incident where, you know, someone brings in a tape recording of the other partner threatening lives? Yeah. Now, I don't know what your judges do over there, but shouldn't they move that to to the criminal court and let them handle that? Yeah. So over here, our family law courts are private. So um, nothing is recorded. Having video slash audio evidence submitted in our rules, in our court, is harder than you might think. Mm. So you have to ask permission here to have that video slash audio evidence submitted. Bizarrely, if it's written as a transcript, that's perfectly fine. But if it's in a video format or an audio format, for somehow you need permission from the courts. Mm -hmm. So I rarely actually have that admitted as evidence, bizarrely enough. And your question is, should it be transferred for criminal? I would say that the family court won't do that, but the person that's got that audio, okay, there'd be something wrong if the person has that audio and the audio contains such horrific, and I have heard, some horrific mm -hmm. things being recorded, then their first option ain't, ain't me. <laughs> it yeah. ain't me. It should be the police who will take it through then to um, to criminal courts. Mm -hmm. Having said that, the family court, I would absolutely be using the transcript of that in, in a family court. But yeah, if, the, if someone has got something that horrific, and I've, I've, I've seen and I've heard horrific things, it ain't me you should be talking to first. You should be dialing 911 or 999 as we've got it here in the UK. Well, that's true. That's true. And I don't know. I mean, I think when people are in family court, they have these videos or audios. And and sometimes, you know, the judge doesn't even want to hear or see the evidence. Well, part of, part of that is because I get a lot. So, I mean, don't forget, I see the sublime to the ridiculous. I have seen parents. I had one case and the parent had stuffed a recording device into the child's teddy to see what the child did at the other at the other parent's house. I mean, so, so I, you can imagine the footage from that was pretty boring. It beans on toast for breakfast, or yeah, you know, right. the ducks fed, went to the went to the park for the ducks, that sort of thing. Um, so I think, generally speaking, people recording. I suppose to recording what recording their children they're often recording the other parent that's what often happens mm -hmm. they're often recording a parent say something to the child or very often they're recording the child themselves if they come to the other parent and they're in a state of I don't know whether they're disheveled or whether they've got dirty clothes or whether they've got unexplained bruises etc the majority of that I can understand to a greater or lesser degree actually why the court wouldn't be bothered to 
I mean, I would be bored as hell if I had to sit through hours of footage watching little Johnny feed the ducks at the park and then somebody somehow out, out of earshot says not a nice word. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it depends. It's being selective. And I think a lot of people, especially when they're in it, can't see the wood from the trees. They can't see what's going to be useful to their case. And honestly, what's going to damage it? I, mem I remember having one case where somebody literally turned up with a carrier bag of newspaper articles and was horrified why the judge was paying no attention to it. He's not there to look at what, what the papers wrote about some else's case or some other child being abducted. They're interested in your case mm. and how to move your case forward. So yeah, I've seen everything. <laughs> so I, I kind of get why judges are perhaps a little bit reluctant to quite frankly, and it's, it's a time as well. I mean, they haven't got time to sit through hours of little Johnny. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I'm. this is all adversarial and someone wants to win and whoever has the most money seems to win. That's, I disagree with that. People think there's a, a misconception out there that money solves a lot of problems. Mm -mm money can help sometimes i have been up against people who have spent nearly a quarter of a million pounds mm. and then they used me and i've often wondered what, what did you get for a quarter of a million i mean it's a lot of money it's not, not an mm. amount of money to be sniffed at and they hadn't completed the cases not been further forward and the person that had spent that quarter of a million couldn't hide it couldn't hide the fact that they were a drug dealer <laughs> so it doesn't matter who they had to help them um, when, when the social services or the local authorities did a background check and found that they were uh, a drug dealer of class A drugs, nobody was going to be able to help them. So I, I disagree. I also think, especially in family court, it's less about how much money you throw at a case, but by the team that you have surrounding you. Mm -hmm. um, I've been up against some extremely... Um, what, who would be considered very profound in their profession, you know, and um, it's made hide nor hair to the difference of the account. So I, I don't know, I, I kind of disagree with the whole, I think there's a presumption that, that you chuck enough money at it, that the problem goes away, mm, doesn't always work. Some parents are just um, too honest. Mm. And sometimes that does them in. I think a lot of it is strategy. And again, I, I said this before we went live, I think that Hollywood has got a lot to answer for because if I was to do a drama about a family court, honestly, it'd be the most boring documentary, the most boring series known to Netflix probably. <laughs> <laughs> most often it's it would be me sitting in a consult room with really terrible coffee from the vending machine. Mm -hmm. um, I think people are too, some pe parents can be too honest because and the, those parents that are too honest ha often go into family court with the belief that I'm just there to tell my truth mm -hmm. and it will all be fine. Mm. And actually, you need a plan. And I say this to everybody, people's anxiety goes from fifth gear to first gear with a plan. It is a strategy. And I hate to demean it to such a level. But, you know, we're in that rule. We're in that arena so we've kind of got to play by those rules. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm all for being honest. I absolutely advocate being honest, but I think harnessing that with a plan <laughs> and a strategy is very prudent. 
Oh, most most definitely. Uh, a lot of people go in thinking there is going to be justice. Justice will be done. And the judge is possibly letting the, the opposing side manipulate the whole courtroom. Yeah, so it's interesting because I, I, people's perceptions of going into court is very different. So I, the number of times I've walked out of court and we've walked out with more than we've gone in with, and I'm there sort of as much as anybody does in family court, punch the air. Um, my, guy, my guy's there going, well, that was an awful result. That was terrible. And I'm there thinking, what courtroom were you in? Mm. Uh, just got a great result. So I think feels are definitely different to reels. Perception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it's also a bit like the way that courts are set up. And I know it's very similar um, in, in your over your side of the pond. Language is very different. So um, the etiquette is very different. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to stand when the judge is there, sit down, rise, you know, um, bow to the court. Like that's, nobody does that. Nobody does that in real life. <laughs> you, you know, I, I remember there's royal courts of justice that I'm, I'm actually going to in a few weeks' time. It looks like Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. There's that much mahogany and the judges are really sat up high. I mean... Somebody who just wants contact with their five-year-old, mm. that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. That's very overwhelming. It's completely alien. Um, so I think people's perception of how court goes um, is very different to how it actually goes. When you talk about, and I hear this a lot, they said, well, they took no notice of me. They just let the other side manipulate room, listen to them to the other side. In my experience, that's not true. Um, in my experience, um, judges have a kind of coded language. I don't know what it's like in yours, but we over here, it's very, it's almost old English. It's very, it's very antiquated. I think mm-hmm. the whole legal system is actually quite antiquated, mm-hmm. but certainly the language is very antiquated. The, the customs are very antiquated. So people don't understand that. So mm-hmm. when the judge listens to one parent, quite honestly, waffling on, that's not the judge agreeing with them. That's just the judge letting them talk and appearing to be equitable mm-hmm. and fair. They're not there listening and really agreeing with them. So there's that. Um, I think some people will perceive, again, I think it's a perception thing. Um, judges, and they have to be seen to be fair because trust me, the number of times I've walked out and um, somebody has said, I'm appealing before they flounce out the courtroom. Yeah. If I had a pound, do you know, if I had a pound every time that happens, so they have all our all the family court cases are recorded and transcribed because otherwise, if they didn't, you'd be in a, an appeal territory all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think from parents point of view, feels are different to reals. Mm-hmm. You know, have you had a client um, when the opposing is talking and making up things and your your client is whispering to you that none of that's true. Not none of that ever happened. <laughs> Yeah, all the time, all the time. And I have ranges. So before I go into court, <laughs> I'll always say to my guy, poker face, please. Because especially in family court, a lot is uh, picked up from the demeanor. Okay. Mm-hmm. And some, I'll be honest, some are better than others. Some of them, I, in fact, I wish wish more people sometimes would just whisper, whisper <laughs> to yeah. me that happen. You know, whereas I've had some people going really out loud, cursing, that mm-hmm. didn't happen uh, no and uh, and sometimes I'm the person that's sort of kicking them under the table going shut up <laughs> yeah right <laughs> well you know 
when a parent does the poker face and then they may use that against that parent saying, well, gee, they didn't show any emotion when we said this, that makes them look bad because like they don't care. Ah, but the most the most expressed emotion that's in family court is anger. And trust me, a judge does not need to see anger. And mm -hmm. I get it. It's a human instinct response. If you've got somebody that's making up not nice things about you and saying false things, it's that human instinct to want to immediately rebut it, which if you were in the real world, you would absolutely do. Mm -hmm. But when you're in court, we shut up. When mm -hmm. we're in court, we find something very, very interesting to look at at the paperwork so that we're not responding. We're going against our human instinct to kind of want to stand up there and go, what the hell are you on about? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not a crying emotion that often courts face and see. It's an anger response. And people express anger in very different ways. I mean, I remember um, I always used to say I was in a finance hearing and before this point, I'd always say to people, nobody gets emotional in a finance hearing. You know, I mean, who's going to cry and get emotional over a bank statement? Well, <laughs> I, I would when the other side literally lobbed over a lever arch folder of paperwork at me in court in front of the judge. Oh, so, yeah. So so most of the time judges face anger I face anger mm -hmm. sometimes it's from my own client understandably um, upset that the system is wrong no one's being listened to but also from the other side as well so it's quite sometimes in really bad case scenarios the tension can be quite and of course let's not also forget I don't know what it's like over um, your side of the pond but some of the courtrooms some of the court buildings I think are not quite fit for purpose. Mm. Some of them are really awful 70s buildings mm -hmm. with not many consult rooms, with a pillar sometimes separating the parents. You know, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not going to do. I was in a court hearing um, about a week, a week ago and the other side's druggy partner, mm -hmm. drug dealer partner turned up feet away from my client. Mm. and they were getting all a bit leery and they were on the phone and it, I mean I had to get security involved you know and the space between each party going into court we're talking a matter of feet how mm. it didn't get into a full fight I don't know but yeah there is a practical consideration that can often get parents emotional and like mm. I said it's mostly anger mm-hmm and it's just so frustrating when a parent is telling the truth and perhaps the judge isn't believing it, buying it. I think, I think part of that, because I get asked this a lot, part of it is what people don't often realize is, and frustratingly so, I, I have to admit, because I don't think it's one of those things that nobody tells you when you go to court, um, is that the court process is a process. So a particular hearing that you've turned up at, the, the what they're discussing is possibly more of a timetabling issue. Mm -hmm. You know, when are we going to schedule in this hearing date? What documents do we need? You know, what time are we going to allocate it? But for people turning up to court, they're going, I need to say everything now. They need to believe everything now. Mm -hmm. When actually 
that's part of the process. But no one tells you this. No mm. one says, oh, some hearings you'll turn up and you'll feel like what a waste of time that was. Sometimes you'll turn up and I know they scheduled in for 10 o'clock, but if you're seen before 3 p.m., you're doing well. You know, no one tells you these things. And I think um, I sometimes wonder if I came up with a, uh, a what's what and who's who temp template. It's one of the things I do actually on TikTok because no one tells you this stuff. You'll often see blogs talking about the law and subsection this of this particular act. Mm -hmm. But no one tells you how what to call the judge. No one tells you when to stand and when to sit. No one tells you this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think um, having a basic understanding of what happens in a courtroom, what to expect, um, I think would be particularly helpful for people going through this process. And it is a process. Mm -hmm. Like most things that are government run, it tends to be a bit slow and a bit clunky. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I noticed that you know, we're using Zoom for our courts. I, I, you're probably doing the same thing. Have you noticed that, you know, like these opposing attorneys, you're watching them and, you know, your client may be talking about their um, ending statement and, you know, they're like looking around the room and then they'll give a smirk, which is like, that would not fly in a courtroom. And then, right. but yet the judge is just sitting there and then he starts looking down the, you know, and looking around and then he starts maybe texting somebody <laughs> i i have it's it really interesting it's a really great point you raise actually because you know virtual hearings have been around now for quite some time and let's let's I, let's do a reality check because before covid i don't know about you but courts here were not accepting anything by email i mean talk about antiquated so they the courts have literally been dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century Having said that, so virtual hearings are a thing, um, but and I have seen so, so many ridiculous, like ridiculous things. I've seen, um, I've, I remember having one judge and they were doing the court hearing in their, it must've been their bedroom, right? And they had the most bizarre collection of stuffed cuddly toys in the background. It, I mean, aside from it, I've, Aside from the fact that just seems wrong on so many levels, but you're there distracted thinking, why, why am I staring at Snoopy? You know, why there are seven versions of Snoopy? You know, yeah. so <laughs> it's that. And I have seen, um, I think people get very complacent because it, you don't have the stress that I talked about, about being physically in a court building. So, that, so there's that, you know, you can wear your slippers, you can have a cup of tea, um, in your own mug you know it feels very comfortable you don't have to look at say an abuser on the screen you can turn your camera off it's it's much more comfortable you're in your home environment but I think that kind of leans the other way as well you know I mean when I um I can I can be I'm so bossy with my clients I've had clients turn up in tracksuit um tracksuits and I'm there going mm -mm, no I'm not walking into court with you like that you go over the road and you change I don't care you've got to buy a new suit go change mm -hmm. so you don't kind of get that same sense of occasion I think because people do act more properly I think when you're in that environment so you're right I've seen uh, magistrates and judges and clients I mean I, so I travel a lot and I was actually in Morocco and I did a court hearing and I I thought I'd be the issue thinking well I'm in Morocco the internet may not be so good 
But no, no, both my client and the other side were trying to link into this court hearing on their clapped out old iPhones. None of them could get, I mean, seriously. And they had the dogs everywhere. And it was just, a, it was just a, a mess. In the end, the judge said, I'm doing this hearing in person next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do see that. And I think demeanor, um, and I also say that virtual hearings, you don't always get that full demeanor. You don't always get the 3D experience. I mean, let's be real. And people are only seeing from the shoulders up, usually. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't, you get an idea of a sort of, you know, you're sort of looking down and playing Candy Crush or. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, people, they miss out, I think, on some of that, some of that detail, some of that uh, body language, which would absolutely be picked up. Mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder, I think that, the most common thing I've seen in virtual hearings is people getting bored. Oh. So I'll often, you can, it's a tell now when people are sort of looking down. Yeah. <laughs> looking back at that, you are playing, you're so playing handy question. You are so checking out your Facebook status at the moment, you know? <laughs> well, you don't do that in court. And actually, and people's emotions tend to be a lot heightened when you're in person. So that thing where you you hear the other party um, saying not nice things or making up lies about you um actually you tend to respond a lot more in person you know mm-hmm. because it's so it's everything's much more heightened than mm-hmm. it is virtually so the pros and cons to it oh just... definitely um you know it's just what we do over here if a judge is misbehaving during zoom you know like looking around and <laughs> look, looking at another screen when you know, posing, or, you know, whoever is giving their testimony, like he just really doesn't care. You know, you just, you know, write up the document on his demeanor, not his ruling. It's how he behaved. And then you send it into the judicial complaint area. And I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know about your I don't know about your system, but I mean, I sorry, just picking up on the issue of complaining. So, I mean, you can imagine it's in our line of work, complaining is a thing and lots of people complain, but I don't know what it's like over yours, but um, institutions investigate themselves. So, you know, so like the court, if you're making a complaint against a lawyer, for example, well, the, the regulating body, guess what, is a bunch of lawyers. So they kind of investigate themselves, which you kind of think, well, why bother complaining? So. Mm-hmm. Just a side note about complaint. I know I've got some professional complainers um, mm. that complain a lot, and I think you're losing. You're losing. Fo- very often, they can lose focus on their case. Yeah, um, because we have like court watchers that will hop on Zoom, and um, it helps support the the side that is really getting, you know, railroaded. And wow. um, <laughs> you know. I, I don't know. I it's just it's just very sad that people are being railroaded and their truth is not being listened to by the judge or acknowledged. And then the opposing attorneys laughing at, at them while they're a pro se delivering their ending comments. It's just very sad. Yeah, I I have to say I, one of the reasons actually that I stopped doing public law so over here public law is much more it's about adoption it's about fostering um i used to deal with um heavier 
cases such as local authority taking babies off mums um, for whatever reason they were, you know and of course I, I appreciate there was a reason but I found that very difficult actually because I found the unprofessionalism in that mm-hmm. worse actually than in um, private um I remember seeing apart from the emotional side of it you know because I tend to give my all when I'm helping someone I'm I'm, I'm in in mm-hmm. And as professional as I am, I struggled not to get emotional when you've got a mother who just falls to her knees sobbing and then you look over and you see the social worker laughing. Um, I found that, I personally found that very difficult. I, I didn't want to go through that again and I certainly didn't want my franchisees to go through that. Um, yeah, so we stuck with private law child proceedings. I found it on the whole especially people are being paid not by the government but privately paying that their profession tends to be a little bit better but I totally take your point yeah yeah it's just um it makes you just do these people have any scruples <laughs> right and I think I, I I very often so part of the reason I do TikTok is mm-hmm. because I want to make sure that what I know I'm not precious about what I know and I think what I know, everybody should know. So I do a lot of TikToks, just answering, literally answering people's questions. I'm not so sure that and I've, and anyone else listening to this who is in the legal profession may very well shoot me down in flames for saying this, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the legal profession has a sense of gravitas, which is undeserving. Mm-hmm. Um, people think one goes into law and you almost hear the cadence of our men behind them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it doesn't deserve that. I've got, especially when I, I remember going into a court case, it was Friday, it was three o'clock. And uh, my guy was completely nervous, understandably, but we were scripted, we had a plan, we were, we were good to go. And I walked into the courtroom and the judge was there with his hands behind his head, his feet cocked up on the table. And the first thing that he said to me was, I want a gin and tonic. Oh, okay. Well, the scripting, the planning just went completely out the window. And my guy was a bit, you know, obviously agog. His jaw hit the floor. Simply said to him, we're just going to have to play dead on this one. But the fact that a judge felt that they could do that. Mm -hmm. Horrifying. Oh, definitely. And then you've got the other issue with this is that, you know, Fathers are always saying they're losing and mothers are saying that they're having their kids taken away. Um, And we had discussed prior to coming on that it seems neck to neck. And I've heard this from other people I've interviewed that it's a neck to neck. It's not, it's not a gender issue. I could understand why it feels like it though. Um, before we came on, I said that I had done charity work for both mums and dads, um, non-resident um, mm-hmm. parents. And, and I say, I, I highlight non-resident parents because they're often the ones that are making the application. Mm-hmm. Often the ones that feel that they have to quote unquote prove themselves to be a part of their child's life. Um, and it's interesting when I go into both of those camps, you go into the dad's camps and they think that um, the system is biased and in mother's favor. If you go into the mother's camp, they think the reverse. So I think uh, one of the things we talked about was um, working together because I think uh, familiarity breeds contempt mm-hmm. and you only get one view. So you go into the, the mothers apart from their children camp 
and you'll see a very polarized view of the system. And the same goes into the dad's camp as well. So I think uh, I'm a massive advocate of shared parenting. I think that um, children should absolutely have the right to a meaningful relationship with both parents, if it's safe to do so. I often point out to my clients that you don't get the Father's Act 19 whatever, you don't get the Mother's Act 19 whatever. Here in the UK, we do have a Children Act 1989. Mm -hmm. And so the court is going to have the children out there for, not the parents. And I can understand why it feels, why it can feel sexist. And I also wanna throw in there that some of the professionals, and I'm talking about some of maybe the uh, social workers that work uh, on behalf or for the court, are human like anyone else and you know I'm not to say I'm not saying that I haven't seen sexism I absolutely have I currently still see that mm. on both camps I think people are human and they bring their own bias and their own prejudice into the workplace and I think mm. you're, you're dealing with humans you're not dealing with um, algebra here so you are going to have people who are biased who are not so good with writing the reports. The flip side to that is that if you have somebody that's writing a report that's completely shocking, it's often easy to pull apart. It's 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 when you've got a sealed tight report that's difficult to challenge because they've covered all their bases. It's a little bit like a good judge. You may not like the decision, but if he's crossed all the bases, you're gonna have a hard time trying to appeal that decision. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I think that both parents um, need to work together I think I think as well there's a lot that the media I think has got a lot to answer for um, for example you often see a lot of domestic abuse from male to female but you don't see advertised the reverse you don't see adverts for example um, women perpetrating domestic abuse on men and mm -hmm. I think you know even if you look at things like Hollywood films you know a woman bashing a, a man over the head with a handbag is, is hilarious apparently Mm. but if the reverse was happening not so funny would be taken off air and probably sued and chucked in jail mm -hmm. so I think I think the media and social social acceptance I think has got quite a lot to do with it as to oh, why people yeah. do what they do mm -hmm. yeah I think there is a lot of um you know uh, there can be abusive women out there and yeah. guys won't speak up either they're embarrassed or they just want to maybe even just keep going in the in the relationship for the kids yeah yeah absolutely um it, it's interesting because i've worked with a lot of male victims of domestic abuse here in the uk fun fact there is no actual um courses for women to who are perpetrators of domestic abuse to go on none hmm. uh, there isn't the funding for it and i think there's a bit of a social agenda but you know for whatever reason why guys don't speak up, for whatever reason there's not the funding there, um, I think it's important to realise that men are also equally victims of domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. I think when people are talking about their truth, I think both both truths need to be heard and that this is not a one-sided argument that often social media and the media in general will have us to believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd also go so far as well is to point out something else which is not highlighted, and that's abuse within families. I mean, I think that's a massively um, underestimated abuse, you know? Mm -hmm. 
I, I t t you know, within siblings or between you know, the, the, the inter abuse within families is not spoken about much less than I think uh, male victims of domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but it seems when a woman calls out domestic violence and provided she has all the evidence, okay, not not making it up, okay, but actual verified police reports, um, videotapes from a private investigator, the judge, what they're doing over here, not all judges, but they're taking the kids away from the mother and giving them to the father who's the abuser. Mm. I don't know why this is happening. Mm. It's interesting. I don't, I think in, in over here, it's quite a simplistic approach because I have seen that happen. Um, and in those instances where I've seen that happen, the reason that they've done that is because they feel that the mother, and just reciting the example you've just said, um, sometimes is with an abusive partner. Therefore, the judges feel, or more, not so much the judges per se, although they are the ones that stamp the order, I think the blame more lies actually with the social worker that would have prepared the report to advise the judge. That's mm -hmm. often what happens. Um, sometimes if mum is in that abusive relationship, very often they don't split up with the abusive partner, the partner mm -hmm. that's been domestically abusing them. So they're not only just putting themselves at risk, but they're putting their children at risk. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen that, I've seen, um, I've seen mum sort of downplay for whatever reason, downplay that um, abuse that they're going through, perhaps not even acknowledging it to themselves. Mm -hmm. And very often that abuse hasn't come just from their current relationship, but again, we're talking about abuse in in uh, in families. They may have always had abuse. They may they may have been um, they may have needed that support and that help way back when. Not now, but way back when. Because even if they, she splits up to appease social services, which is often what happens, that you know the, the the authorities will say, well, you have to make a choice. You either split up with the partner that's abusing you, um, or the child gets taken into care. So those scenarios, mm. I find, um, is probably often the reason why I've seen courts take children off mothers. It's a last resort, though, I would say. I mean, I had a case last week that that very same thing happened with. And I have to say that in that particular case, a mum has struggled with uh, alcohol and drug abuse. And, you know, her mum recently died. Um, so she had a catalogue of things and she just she needs help. Mm -hmm. that's what she needs and so um for now the safest place for the children was in dad's care in fact she it was so bad that she gave birth to her new baby that she had with her boyfriend who happened to be a drug dealer mm -hmm. and she had that baby on a kitchen floor on her own high as a kite she delivered that baby and as she's fighting to have the children the one that she's having with the father back into her care but it's quite obvious when you get into the details, because every case is different, you know, mm -hmm. it's very easy to sort of go back and go, oh my gosh, they're just taking babies off mothers. And you're like, well, actually, it's a case by case scenario. So in this particular case, the safest thing is for the for the children to go and live with dad because the, the kids have already seen mum high as a kite, violent, mm -hmm. drunk, passed out, in, unconscious, bad language. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's definitely a case by case basis. You can tell I've been doing this a long time because um, I'll always see both sides of the story. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So there's always two sides of the coin. Yeah. And 
you know, I had interviewed a gentleman and he said, you know, the real work begins after the judge, you know, orders 50-50 shared parenting, because that's when the other parent can badmouth the other parent. The parental alienation, which is very insidious, can start moving in. And then before you know it, <laughs> your child won't speak to you or want to come over. Yeah, I see that. It's it's interesting because over here, I suppose this is quite global, actually. 50-50 um, care, there are two camps to this. There are the professionals out there that think that 50-50 is the best thing for a child mm -hmm. because it almost promotes, it forces the person who would have normally been alienating a child, it forces them to cooperate, it forces them to co-parent, even by virtue of having a court order. Secondly, um, I think it, it promotes a better relationship on the whole because the, per the, the parent will have equal time. So we'll have that equal time to almost counterbalance. If one parent is bad-mouthing a child half the time, well, they've got the other half of the time to make up their own mind saying, well, actually one parent isn't that bad. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But there's also a school of thought that says that, um, that shared parenting does the reverse and that how can there possibly be shared parenting if both parents get on don't get on sorry if there's mm -hmm. acrimony between the parents then simply 50 50 won't work um mm -hmm. i happen to be in the former camp and i think that on balance personally i think it does more harm more good than harm i should say mm -hmm. yeah i think parental alienation people don't change mm -hmm. i think and if they were bad-mouthing a parent before the court order, um, I, and, you know, I've seen parents that do it really badly when the eyes of the court are upon them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You just think, how would you do that? You know, you, ha you are in front of a judge right now. <laughs> but um, I kind of agree with your, 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 the previous person that you interviewed, because I think um, the, hard, the minutiae, it's always the little things, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know? Little Johnny turns up with different socks. Well, that must mean that that parent is incapable of parenting. And before you know it, um, things have escalated on a penny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I think 50-50 or shared care, because shared care doesn't always necessarily mean 50-50. Um, but I think having the basis of shared care, I think promotes the, the continuation of a family life for a child. Mm -hmm. It shows that there's no one man upmanship. It shows that both parents does the boring bits as well as the fun bits, does the laundry as well as the homework, mm -hmm. and, and just shows that both parents can be there mm -hmm. for a child, um, for the homework and for the times just to, when they need to talk. So I think I personally think it's hugely important. And I also don't think distance has too much to deal with it either. I think you could have the basis or the principle of shared care agreement if, if the um, parents live uh, quite far apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with, um, well, a long time ago, she was my writing instructor. I don't write anymore. But uh, she said, you know, her parents got divorced and they kept it out of the court, but yet the mother was bad-mouthing. The father was able to take her to horse shows and you know how much that costs. <laughs> and so, but it messed her up still you know she you know loves both parents but you know, when a kid has all that being thrown at them it does mess with their mind right yeah. i mean she, i get i guess the mother stopped bad mouthing 
and but still her life is greatly disturbed by even being with both parents equally it still messed her up and when you go before a judge and say your your ex wants you know just one kid not the other three or something really strange and the judge catches on that smells a rat right and she'll say okay nobody bad mouth the mom nobody bad mouth the dad okay so then the court should probably install cameras in everybody's house and listen to what's really going on do you know what i'm saying <laughs> that would never happen, it? no no but it, it it happens all the time. These these judges will stand there and say no bad mouthing, and it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, it, it's a standard clause. Um, in fact, so the words that often makes its way into a court order here is that neither party shall denigrate the other in front of the child. And I, or the, my other personal favorite, um, it's, it's a clause that's written in was and, and any other contact as can be agreed. And they're thinking. Well, there's not going to be, is there? Because the parents aren't communicating because we're in court and they're in court because parents aren't communicating because they don't trust each other. Uh, yes, I do think some, uh, as a professional, I sort of sit back and I think, why is that even in there? But I get the, yeah. I get the thoughts behind it. But um, yeah, practically, that's just not going to work, is it? <laughs> no, no. I'm. It's just very, um, I guess it's, I feel our, our court system is not fixable. I feel the family court should be abolished and brought down to the civil courts where a parent can have a jury, especially when there's false allegations. It's interesting um, because um, very often, so I, I, I don't um, campaign for the change, uh, mainly because there are some amazing charities out there that do that. Mm-hmm. And I stick to what I'm good at. Because whilst change is great and campaigning for change is great, that's not going to help somebody who needs to have contact with their child. We've got the system that we've got. And very often people are on the phone to me, they're at a crossroads. They're either going to rely on the good grace of their ex, which, let's be real, has probably evaporated by now, or they need to ask the court for assistance. There's no good or bad option here. There's which is the least worst option. Mm-hmm. So whilst I think that um, whilst I think that the system isn't always fit for purpose and it isn't, and certainly here it's incredibly flawed, um, mm-hmm. I think it's the best that you've got. And I, when we talk about sort of, so I personally believe that um, in terms of change, I think if we made the family courts public, that would be useful. Mm-hmm. Because I think what goes on under the radar that would normally get caught out. Um, and in terms of a jury, yeah, that would be nice. Because um, I also put that in the same bracket as, well, all lies should be referred to a criminal court. I hear that quite a lot. Um, they say, well, if they're lying in court, why aren't they being done for perjury? Mm-hmm. Why is that not even a thing? And I get, I've done TikToks about this. And, I, and again, call me cynical, but I think it's full of the money. Um, no one's gonna no one's the government hasn't got enough money to fund what it's got right now what it's got right now is really clunky and slow and possibly not fit for purpose I also back up a little bit and say um, because something that often people say is all the laws are useless you know the laws aren't fit for purpose I have read those laws the laws in principle are really great laws the problem we've got is is the judiciary interpreting it because hey we're in court, there's a strand of hair, and we are going to split it. That's what people do in court. 
So, um, yeah, I, I deal I deal at ground zero because whilst change is amazing and I, I'm always hoping for change, um, like and it, change is happening. I mean, if we think about parental alienation a while ago, that wasn't even recognized. That wasn't even a thing. It, nobody knew of parental alienation. Mm -hmm. And if it, um, and I go I also say the same with um, and I hate the term father's rights, but I can't think of a better term yeah. You know about how both parents are important to a child. So, you know, the campaign is going on. And camp and change is happening really slow. It used to be, I remember, because I've been doing it that long, and I swear to God, I age every time I say this. But mm. I remember a time when it was the go-to that mums just got the children. That was just that was just the norm. Whereas nowadays it's not a fait accompli that 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 mum is the primary carer. You know, that those days are are over. Mm. Um uh, similarly, you know, parent things like parental alienation is acknowledged. And, you know, there is obviously, certainly I know there's a divide between what you guys have in America to what we have here in the UK, but it's a thing. People know what parental alienation is. Mm -hmm. There was a time I remember that it, not only did nobody know what it is, but it was certainly not recognised in the courts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there is progress. It's just super slow. Super <laughs> slow, most definitely. Well, I'm so glad uh, we had this discussion. I should do this more often. <laughs> you just have me on here to rant. So that's what you do. <laughs> no, this is great. No, I, you know, it just opens up people's eyes and they can see, you know, some people believe that these courts aren't even corrupt. They think everything happens perfectly in a courtroom and it's law and order. And <laughs> it's not happening, people. <laughs> No, I often think it's it's interesting when people talk about, and I see this a lot. I've taken myself off a lot of social media platforms actually because oh, it, it it's not good for the mental health. But when people talk about the the courts are corrupt and there's some kind of master plan, to, and I think it's it's usually more cock up than conspiracy. I mm. wish, in a way, I wish there was some kind of conspiracy because at least that means that somebody's got a plan. But mm. the reality is, no one has a plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're just humans. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, Michaela, how can people reach you if they have any questions? So my email is Michaela at familylawassistance.co.uk. Uh, check out the website as well. We've got some amazing blogs. We've got mm -hmm. over 130 blogs of just real talk, things that are going to really appeal to just just average people who are going through this. So check out the blogs on www.familylawassistance.co.uk. Mm -hmm. That's how old I am, Marianne. I say www. before oh, my, no. my, my web address. How can people find you on TikTok? Because you do amazing TikToks. Thank you. So she, I'm just looking now because I what, it's Michaela at Family Law Assistance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just Let me just find the, the TikTok handle just now. Uh, what if I put it in as? Yeah, so it is uh, family law assistance at family law assistance. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, family law assistance. Michaela Wade at family law assistance. Okay, gotcha. I'll put that in the podcast notes. Mi Michaela Wade at family law assistance. Yes. It's weird because um, TikTok happened by accident. Yeah. 
started off. I started off. I see some amazing TikToks with all the fancy schmancy um, uh, captions and, you know, all the things that all the popping up. I'm literally sat in front of a camera for like three minutes just answering people's questions, but it's just exploded, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do check that out. It's just real talk, real talk. And, and it's, and you're helping others, and that's what we're here to do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any advice for parents that are in the court system, especially around the holidays? Right. Don't give up. My number one tip courts want you to go away, professionals want you to go away, your ex will want you to go away. Your children need you. So, whatever you do, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, don't give up. Thank you so much. Uh, don't jump off. <clears throat> Slam the gallows, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join me again with Michaela Wade here in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you so much, Michaela. Thank you.